Hello, I'm Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred podcast, and today we have a a, uh, an, a very interesting story and exciting guest, and I'm I'm really happy she could make it out of her busy busy schedule as a Division One athlete to take the time uh, to talk about these important issues. I think will be very rewarding for everybody. So, with that, I'm going to introduce Taylor Roberts, and she is a sophomore. Is that right? I am. At the University of Florida, and she's on the women's golf team. So, Taylor, welcome to the Living Undeterred podcast, and um, I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, and your story caught my eye. I was uh, on social media, and I was uh, going through Twitter, I think it was, and I saw our good friend Kevin Rinker make a comment about something you're doing. Um, to raise money and awareness for mental health. And immediately I saw the AJGA, I saw leadership links, and these are things over the years I've become very uh, uh, accustomed to talking about and, and uh, really admire what the AJGA has done. So I saw what you were doing. You and I talked a few times and I wanted to get you on the podcast to have a conversation about not just mental health, but, but about some of the, the issues that we're having, especially with, with adolescents and, and kids in college, the, the next generation of our leaders of our country, of our world, um, and talk about some of these issues you guys are having, some of the problems with social media and some of the, the, um, the ways that you're trying to approach this in a very positive way. So with that, let's let's just talk a little bit about uh, where you're at right now and how is school going and how is the golf team this year? Yeah, so um, this year I'm redshirting, so I'm still like practicing okay. and stuff with the team. Um, but it's kind of nice to get like uh, equated to like UF. I just transferred here um, from Florida State. So just to get used to like a new campus and new teammates and coaches, I thought it was like the best decision for me, but, um, it's going really well so far. I love it here. Um, it's a different change from Tallahassee, but I like it a lot. Um, I have, um, really awesome teammates. They're really supportive and so are the coaches and, um, I'm just really proud to be a Gator now and, um, school's going really well too. I'm, I'm majoring in education um with okay. a concentration in um disabilities um so i'm i really enjoy what i'm learning right now and um i actually just picked my classes that i'm really excited about there's one about um learning about the stigma of mental health so i'm like really excited to learn about that i mean i know a lot about it now but i'm sure i can learn a lot more too what's your first memory of golf um i think my grandfather and my grandma they they took like a group of my cousins um there's four of us to I think it was like somewhere down south like Naples area on like a trip with just all of us and they got me uh, a pink bag with golf clubs in it so those were like my first ever golf clubs I think that's my like earliest memory of golf and how old were you? Do you think when you first had your first like competitive tournament, or do you even do you even remember that? Yeah. So my first competitive tournament, um, I don't know if you know Alexa Pano, um, but she is like a really high class golfer, and I just started playing golf, and it was just like a tournament like in my neighborhood, and I think I shot like 
60 on nine holes <laughs> and she was like and I was like topping the ball and like everything that you can imagine and uh she shot like two under <laughs> so that's like the first time wow. I, I ever played a tournament come a long way since then <laughs> did you play other but, sports growing up or did you just kind of get yeah, fixated on golf um I swam at a really young age and I played basketball for a year my grandfather really wanted me to play softball because he's a big baseball guy. Baseball kind of runs in our family. My dad played in college and mm. um, my grandfather and my older cousin. Um, so they, he wanted me to play softball and I tried that, but I wasn't too good at it. And I played basketball as well. I think I just said that and soccer actually played soccer throughout middle school. And then I broke my ankle three times. So I decided mm. to stick with golf. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, yeah. That certainly injuries can be a be an issue. Um, but so, do you have brothers and sisters in? I do. I have a younger sister. She's a senior in high school. She plays lacrosse, and she's going to Ohio State for okay. Lacrosse. Yeah. So in in high school, you decided to focus pretty heavy on on golf, and I'm assuming then you played a lot of the. Now, where's your home state from? Are you from Florida then? Yeah, I'm I'm from Parkland, Florida. I was born in Boca Raton, um, but I actually in middle school I decided to be homeschooled for golf oh, okay. and um, for um, other reasons. Um, that um, so I spent um, middle school through like my junior year of high school doing online school. Just I traveled more, um, uh, let me do some other stuff that I wanted to do. So when did you, when do you think you really got into playing competitive junior golf? Like what was the age where pretty much 12 months a year, you're traveling around playing in tournaments, you know, the high school team and, and pretty much golf was what you wanted to be. Um, I think around like, um, like 14, um, okay. that I realized that I could like do something with golf. Um, and I started winning at a, a at like local levels and then I kept working myself up but golf started off as like a hobby that I just loved being outside and in nature and then I loved it so much that I ended up being good at it because I spent so much time doing it it's kind of where you and I are talking about um my son Ian who plays at the University of South Dakota and we're going to talk a little bit about the impact cup uh that you're doing this July and Ian's been uh he's really excited about playing with you in that event and um, yeah, to you, to you raising a lot of money and raising a lot of conversation on this topic about mental health. So, when you uh, decided that you wanted to play college golf, I know when I went through this with my son and every parent out there that goes through recruiting, it tends to be more of a miserable experience than a positive one. Um, did you feel that way with recruiting coming out of high school to college? Did you, did you feel? every putt was like stressful that, you know, coaches are following you or did you just play golf and not worry about it? Um, I remember the first tournament college coaches were at, I think I was in seventh or eighth grade. Um, it was at Furman and this tournament is known to have so many coaches out there. It was an AJGA tournament. I remember being really nervous. The, some of the coaches were on the first tee with their phones out, like right in front of you. <laughs> um, but, um, I committed at a really young age. I committed um, freshman summer. Um, so I I remember it being like a hard process because my dad tried to like get me prepared for like 
talking to coaches because it was like the first time in my life that I was like advocating for myself. Um, so I remember that. Um, I think initially it was I felt a little bit pressure when certain coaches would watch me because I would because mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to go to a school. Um, there are some coaches I I played better in front of, which is it's kind of funny because the Florida State coach, I, I used to get nervous when she would come to watch me because I knew, um, like, I wanted to go there. And then the Florida coach, every time she watched me, I would play really good, which I find it really ironic. It is. It's um, very interesting. Yeah. 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 Um, but I, I remember the Florida coaches um, recruiting me at a, a pretty young age. And it it's, it's kind of special that I ended up back here. They're great people. Yeah, through the AJGA, which again, for people who aren't aware, it's the American Junior Golf Association, and I kind of equate it to the PGA of professional golfers. It's probably the highest level junior golf uh, out there. Um, I know when we played AJGAs, there was fields where people from China and you know Singapore and Taiwan and Canada and Mexico. And I mean, everywhere you could Russia, you know, anywhere possible, you could see uh, kids playing junior golf. AJGA was kind of the pinnacle. So we started in the AJGA. I think Ian's, um, we were probably late. I mean, I think Ian's first tournament was probably his freshman year for AJGA. Yeah. I was uh, uh, around the same time. Actually, I didn't even know what like stars were and stuff. Right. We didn't either. <laughs> We didn't either. Like, and yeah, my someone came up to us and we're like, "Oh, you should play an AJGA tournament." And my dad, a baseball guy, doesn't really. We didn't had no idea about AJGA. And I remember the first tournament I played, I I was in contention to win, and I actually mm. came in third. And it was like an open AJGA, and someone comes up to me and they're like, "Congrats!" I'm like, "What do you mean, congrats?" <laughs> um, <laughs> but I was exempt like right off the bat. And I, I, I didn't know idea what that meant, but it's kind of funny looking back at it. Yeah. I'm quite fond of those times because, you know, for our family, um, you know, Ian was a sophomore. Uh, I explained to you kind of the situation, uh, actually the day of districts, uh, Ian's sophomore year in our high school had never made state. We're not a golf program. And, um, I was taking Ian to go to districts like every parent does. I was going to drop him off with the team, head back to my house, pick up my wife, and we were going to drive up to the golf course about an hour away and watch Ian's team compete for state. Well, six thirty that morning, in the parking lot, you know, with the golf clubs in my bat in my hand, the phone rings, and the rest is history. They found our son, Ian's older brother, Seth dead from a uh, fentanyl poisoning in heroin the, at the age of 23. And that moment, everything kind of froze for me. And I didn't even tell Ian anything. I just got in my car thinking, how am I going to tell my wife? You know, our son, our son died. And I felt really bad for Ian because, you know, he's only 16 at the time. And mom, you know, I never missed a tournament ever. And to just have me get in the car and leave had to be very traumatic for him. And then he went up that day and played in the tournament and actually double bogeyed the last hole. And we missed state by one shot as a team. And so Ian came home devastated that he let everybody down. That was his thoughts. Obviously, obviously you guys make mistakes on the golf course. You're not letting anyone down. I mean, it's pretty clear, but that's the way he felt. 
you know, and you kids all carry the weight of the world's pressures on you. And that's causes a lot of the mental health issues that we're going to talk about in a little bit. But Ian came home and said, you know, dad, I'm sorry. You know, I double bogeyed and blah, blah, blah. And I said, Ian, I got much bigger things to talk about today. You know, and then I had to explain to him that his brother was dead. And the beauty of sports, Taylor, and I, I write about this in my book, and I'm going to get you a copy, is the next year we had districts back at the exact same golf course, which, you know, in high school, they typically rotate the courses. And so it was very odd to go back to the same course. And lo and behold, uh, I didn't go that day because I was real nervous. And I, the media was there because Ian had raised like $40,000 through, through golf, through the AJGA and stuff for, um, um, substance abuse and addiction for kids. Yeah. And so I knew the media was going to be there. So I decided to stay home. Well, lo and behold, Taylor came down to the last hole and Ian had an 18 foot putt. And if he doesn't make it, we lose a card back and we don't go to state. And as for birdie, same hole he double bogeyed the year before when his brother died, he makes the putt. Oh, wow. That's and our team goes to state for the first time in school history. And his brother died about two miles from that golf course. It was in the same town. His tournament, his tournament was the same town as where Seth died. So where I'm going with this long story is that golf became something for our family. And at that moment we realized we needed to start doing more. And so that's when we got involved in more fundraising through the AJJ. And that's the Jerry Cole sportsmanship award that Ian ended up winning. Mm -hmm. And golf has just been this amazing vehicle, kind of a, a beacon of hope for our family. And, you know, now you're here on my podcast and we're talking about what you've discussed publicly, you know, your, your, your fight or battles or struggles. I don't like any of those words personally, um, because we all have them. It, your struggle with whatever you have is, you know, we, I have a mental health issue as well. You know, I'm dealing with very two traumatic events in my life. So I deal with this every day, but where I'm going with this, this is my long segue, Taylor, is that, you know, you've embraced this mental health challenge and you transferred from Florida state. Why don't you talk a little bit about why and kind of, when did you realize that you were having these internal struggles and then what you think vulnerability has done for you? What, what do you think your ability to share your story has done to help you in your healing? Um, so I didn't realize that I was struggling as bad as I was struggling until the end of my freshman year. So I had spent the fall and spring at Florida state. Mm -hmm. Um, I kind of describe it as like, I was kind of robotic. I, during COVID, we weren't allowed to do anything. Uh, went to class, went, or actually classes were online. So I scratched yeah. that. I, I didn't go to class. And that didn't help um, at all. I and bet. I went to the golf course and workouts were at the golf course. So most of my time was at the golf course. And then I came back to my room in a kind of confined dorm room. Um, and I just did that till um, I left in the spring. And I remember um, being at nationals and all I wanted to do was go home and I mean, nationals is the pinnacle of college golf and to be there and not want to really play. Um, mm -hmm. It just, it kind of spoke to how much I like needed to go home. And um, I remember going home and my parents 
saying that I wasn't the same person that left a year ago. I mean, I didn't really get to spend time with them because of COVID. We had rules that we weren't allowed to hug hug on the golf course when I saw them. So they would come watch, but it was literally like any other spectator. They would clap, they would watch my round, and they would leave. And I didn't get to spend any time with them. So they didn't realize like how bad of a spot I was in until I got home. And I kind of describe when I got home as this like gigantic bubble like bursting because all the emotions I had like felt and like at school I was like that robot kind of like bursted when I got home because I was in like the comfort of my own house with Mm -hmm. my parents and my sister that allowed me to just feel everything that I was going through Mm -hmm. um and and that's the point where I realized like oh my god like I'm not okay but it wasn't I I was crying for like a month straight when I came home and I I just started to go to therapy and the first couple um, sessions I was like oh I don't like I don't even deserve to be here my issues aren't that big like why are my parents spending money on me to do this and then like a couple probably like four or five sessions in I I realized that I needed to open up and like how you said, like be vulnerable and talk about things because I had kept so much inside that I needed to finally start talking about it. And so I spent the whole summer um, going to therapy, which in the beginning, my mom was like, you you should go talk to someone. I was like, I don't need to talk to someone. I'm fine. And if it wasn't for her, like, I really don't know where I would be today Mm -hmm. um, because she just saw something in me that I didn't see. Um, so this therapist was that at the university or is this somebody that was not part of the sports program no so this was I had went home for the summer and saw a therapist at home okay and you feel that you feel that was a big deciding factor in in you being able to uh, cope and, and work through what you were going through yeah definitely it was like so I went to individual therapy and then I did dialectical behavior therapy like Mm -hmm. dbt um, and that's a six month course. So I, I actually just finished it uh, early this spring because I started it in the summer. Um, and I think that paired with individual therapy helped like rewire my thinking and um, go through everything that I like everything that I experienced at Florida State, process it, cry about it mm-hmm. and just understand it and has helped me become a stronger person. Like, I mean, I I feel like I'm a lot stronger now that I have went through everything that I did than I was coming out of high school. But, um, I mean, it's still every day is a, is a battle, but I I feel like now I know that I have support Mm -hmm. and that I'm not alone. And which is like the biggest message that I'm trying to create, um, through the impact cup is that like, we all experience this where we can all be vulnerable together and also like, um, creating the impact cup to, create awareness and support for other people that may not have had a mom that could realize it. Like my mom was there for me. Do you still see your therapist every week or? Um, I don't, I swear I'm switching to a therapist on campus because okay. I like the interaction better in person. Yeah. Um, but my therapist at home, we, we worked out that I like had finished everything I wanted to yeah. work on. And, right. and if I needed to come back, just to text her um but she's actually oops sorry sorry. she's actually um she's working to create like different activities for the impact cup so she'll be there oh great one of the things i'm trying to do 
is to work on changing the narrative and that means stigmas and labels. Yeah. And just the fact that I can ask you about your therapist is improvement because years ago that was a secret. It's like Taylor didn't want anyone to know she was seeing a therapist. Well, now everyone's seeing a therapist. It's yeah. you're almost odd if you aren't seeing one. It's kind of like changing your oil in your car now. It's like not that big a deal. So I I think it's great that you at your age can talk about this publicly and I admire what you're doing. And that's one of the reasons what what drew me to your story. And now, now ultimately, you know, your story is going to be embedded in our tour that we're doing in 44 days. We leave around the country, you know, your story is going to be part of that. And it's simply because of a post on Twitter. And I go back to many of the relationships I've met and the very heroic people I've met in my life came from vulnerability. It came from either you or me opening the crack of that door and allowing people to feel, Hey, it's okay to tell somebody I'm going to a therapist or it's okay to say, I'm not doing good. You know, I think it's so rhetorical for someone to say, well, how you doing Taylor? Oh, I'm doing great. You know, yeah. well, maybe you aren't, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe, maybe you're having a really bad day for your own reasons. And we should be able to say that, you know, yeah. we should be able to say, you know what? I'm, I'm not really doing that great today, but thanks for asking. Yeah, it comes off so easy when someone asks you, oh, how are you doing? And just to lie about it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I try not to and I try to be more aware of it now, but then you you answer someone and then they're all worried about you. So then it's hard. Um, but I agree that society is, that answer is like, oh yeah, I'm great, but we're really not. You know, I think I saw a statistic that like one in five Americans have in the past year dealt with a pretty severe mental Ill, mental health issue or crisis. That's a large number. If you think of just in the course of your day, you know, you go to a class tailor, you may have what, 30 people there, you know, one in five has right. had a problem. And then you walk down the street and you walk by a hundred people or you go to a tournament. I mean, yeah. even the spectators, you know, when you're in a tournament and you're looking out at us, you know, we're looking at you guys as athletes, you're looking back at the parents, one in five of those people have mental health challenges. So we're in a big boat together. Um, I've talked about it, you know, plenty on my podcast, in my book, um, all the conversations I have with people about my own challenges of, you know, not only burying a, a, a child, but then burying my wife on, you know, few months, a few years later, uh, her death was due to, you know, losing a child. Some, some mountains are just too, too tall, too high to climb. I, I like to say. And so, you know, I've dealt with two really difficult tragedies in my life. And then on top of that, my mom died in November. So she was 89 and we had a great relationship. So death has been my obstacle has been my barrier. It's been the thing that's been my hardest thing to deal with, but I've learned like you have to, you know, re rewire how I look at things, you know? Um, I don't know if you know much about stoicism, but it's something I, I practice and it's a philosophy. It's an ancient Greek philosophy. It's a very pragmatic, very kind of a realistic way to look at life. And, and they talk about reframing, and that's mm -hmm. probably what you did with your therapist and some of yeah. the sessions you're in is like, okay, somebody dies. Well, it doesn't have to be framed as something that's deconstructive. 
you know, something that's going to just chip away at you and ultimately kill you. It can honestly be something constructive. You know, death can be an opportunity to become a better, not a bitter human. And so here's, you know, whatever you're going through, Taylor, um, you need to look at that as opportunities, you know, and I talk about this a lot with Ian because, you know, he's, he carries a big burden as well. Division one athlete like you, but he doesn't have a mom. You know, I mean, you've had the ability to have that great experience with your mom. You know, Ian doesn't have that right now. He doesn't have for the rest of his life, you know, um, and his brother, and he's trying to take a class load and be a division one athlete. So when Ian comes to me and he's very, you know, challenged with some things, I, I have to, as a dad say, well, I think all, all you kids are, there's so much pressure on you guys today as division one athletes to succeed, not just on the course, but with your grades. Uh, in your school and people are always, you know, looking at you from that perspective and that's got to create, you know, some undue pressures for you guys as well. So I think what you're doing, what Ian's doing to raise awareness. And then I also talked about Sam Gary, who's in my book, which he was the first, you know, junior golfer I met that mental health was his ambition. That's what he wanted to focus on. And Sam runs the kick it for a cause nonprofit. He has a kickball tournament every year that he raises money for mental health. And it's like, so here's you and Ian and, and, and Sam, you know, three kids in college that are really on the forefront of changing the narrative. So I applaud you what you're doing. So with that long, you, you can tell I'm in the long segues. Um, talk about the impact cup for people that aren't golfers, explain what the goal is of an impact cup, who's eligible, what your purpose is. Um, how can people get involved? And then uh, I want to spend some time kind of on what your desires are as you get through college and, and, you know, looking down the road, you know, where you want to be with, um, with mental health advocacy. So let's talk about the impact yeah. cup first. So the impact cup. So after going through everything that I went through at Florida state uh, therapy throughout the whole summer, it wasn't until I was in like a, a stable place where I realized that I was so fortunate to get out of something that what, what I went through. Um, and with that, I, I mean, my parents gave me resources to go to therapy and I, I thought to myself, not every person has the, the same resources that I have and they don't have, maybe they don't have parents that can, can see that in in someone and I was I created a a charity tournament my senior year in high school for COVID mm. relief and we raised over 40,000 for that event but That's I was awesome. like yeah I was I was thinking mental health and this reason is so much bigger and stronger than how passionate I was for COVID um so I reached out to the AJGA and I was like what do you guys think about this idea and they jumped all over it um so basically the mission for the impact cup is to create awareness de-stigmatize the the stigma of mental health um and ultimately bring uh college golfers together have a good uh, couple of days and um create activities for them to so they realize different things um within themselves as well but the money are we are raising, I feel like, is the biggest thing because it's it's giving other people access to mental health resources um, through the Generation Next project. 
um, and the AJGA ACE grant. Um, but for people that want to be involved, um, we are trying to um, we're trying to get um, the most money raised in like the AJGA history. That's like our main goal. Hmm. Um, but we'll see if we get there or not. But just to raise any amount is going to make a difference in the world. I always say if I can impact one life, like I did my job and that's what I try to go in every day and help other people. I'm really big into community service and the impact cup is something really close to me just because I was really affected by mental health. And it's something that I try to prioritize every day along with being a student athlete, a daughter, a sister and well, you are going to be impacting thousands of people. Um, Thank you. I have no doubt uh, when you get closer to the actual day of the event, uh, I'll be promoting it heavily on our tour because um, we'll actually, I think we're about half done by the time we come to Georgia. So we'll have a lot of opportunities to kind of turn the spotlight on what you're doing. Um, so in regards to people getting involved, they can donate online. And I'll have a link on this show, but how can people directly, if someone watching this, uh, wanted to reach out and donate or talk to you, I guess what, what's a good way to do that? Yeah. Um, maybe you can, uh, post my phone number or mm -hmm. email. I'm open to talking to anyone. Um, I think I went through a lot and I could offer some advice to people. Um, I think the six month course of DBT helped me a lot and it's something that is really expensive to take so not everyone has the access to do that and if I could offer some of those skills that I learned I would be totally open and opening to do that and if anyone wants to like share their story we can put it on like the impact cup like tweet it out or something like that with like a hashtag or something like that and you mentioned the generation next project what, what mm -hmm. specifically is that Okay, so the Generation Next project, um, so Bobby Jones' great-grandson um, is Robert Black, and when he heard my story, he wanted to partner with me to create the Impact Cup, so he's kind of working behind the scenes with me, um, and his it's a nonprofit um, to raise awareness for mental health, and he's creating a retreat for um, parents and their kids to go and learn about um, like the mental side of golf ball, but like an interactive experience. And those were, I think they're all over the country, um, primarily in Atlanta, though, um, I believe. And he also has another side of it called the Positivity Project, which is every $2,000 raised um, goes to implement mental health um, resources in elementary and middle schools. That's awesome. So yeah, the I, money that is raised will go to both parts of that, along with the AJGA, AJGA ACE grant. Yeah, I, I certainly need to reach out to him uh, and talk to him sure. about our nationwide initiative because that's, you know, that's really where I think if you look at initially when this idea came up, Taylor, we we're going to call this the Opioid Awareness Tour. So I wanted to go around the country and just talk about fentanyl and all the issues with um, uh, addiction with opioids and, and all that. And then after what I went through with my wife and, and you know, her own battles that weren't uh, opioid related, uh, specifically alcohol, I finally realized that, you know, mental health is a wheel and each spoke 
is a certain area like alcohol, drugs, gambling, food addictions, whatever, whatever your, your issues are, those are spokes on the wheel. So we didn't, we rebranded this whole tour to the living undeterred, which is kind of what my, my brand is, I guess, is what I'm trying to get people to have this really a living undeterred mindset that no matter what happens in your life, you have to ask yourself a question. Do things happen to you or do things happen for you? And that's a very great question to ask yourself as you go through life. And you could almost put this on a piece of paper and just keep it with you at all times. Do things happen to you or do things happen for you? And then however you answer that will dictate the quality of the rest of your life. Because if you answer it, well, things happen to me, then you become a victim. And now you're living a victim mindset. If you say things happen for me, now that's an opportunistic way to look at. So for example, like with death, how in the world could you trick your brain to think that the death of a child happened for you? Well, I, I, I ask people, how can you not think that way? Because the other way of thinking is destructive, you know? And so in your case, whatever happens, you know, in, in a given day, if you can say, well, this happened for me. You know, maybe you missed a putt from two feet to win a big tournament, the biggest tournament of your life. How could you possibly say this happened for you? Right? Yeah. And that's the mindset. That's an optimistic, positive way to live your life. And that's the way the Stoics kind of looked at everything was from, from that type of lens. And so the same event, missing a putt, the same event can mean so many different things for so many people. And someone who has a living undeterred mindset is going to look at those as opportunities. Hey, maybe it's, maybe I'm just not that good at that distance. Maybe that's my opportunity to putt better, right? Maybe I need to learn yeah. to read greens better. Maybe I just spend more time uh, reading the booklets that the coaches give me before the tournaments, you know, instead of saying, oh, you know, there was a, there was a spike mark or there was mud or the, and then you start becoming a victim. And our society's already pretty darn good at being a victim, you know? So, um, yeah, it's such an in-depth, um, thought process. I actually just wrote it down so I can remember it. I really like that. So thank you. Yeah, I, I do too. It just, and, and you actually, when you're talking to people in your presentations, you can, especially kids, you know, yeah. ha- ha- say there's one sentence to ask yourself all day long, all day long. Do things happen to you or do things happen for you? And if you just kind of yeah. get your brain to kind of believe that is kind of the, the great question of all time, then, then you go through life and you still have bad days. I mean, I, I do everything I can to stay in a good place. I meditate, I work out, I read, I avoid toxic relationships. That's another big thing, Taylor. I think yeah. at your age and even adults, we harbor too many hang on too many people that are in our lives that are toxic. Yeah. And I don't know if that's something you you see when you're dealing with some of your peers is the negative effects of toxic toxic relationships yeah i definitely do i after going through like florida state um i realized that not all my friends at florida state are going to be my friends especially when i transfer to florida mm-hmm. um and even like friends from high school and just growing up uh, we go different paths and i think it's important to not to hang on to people that are negative and i since i'm so focused on like having a positive outlook on life now um, 
people that are talking negative about their lives 24 seven, I'm not going to be friends with anymore. And well, they're, they're uh, not going to want to be friends with you. <laughs> yeah. Cause, Cause you're not, you're not talking down to their level Yeah, and, and you're just so in a different world that they're going to go on to other negative people. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, it's kind of like within our team because I had a bad round and I'm not dwelling on it. Like it happened. Like I used to dwell on it. I used to not sleep because I played bad. And now I'm like, it happened. Like I need to improve on blah, blah, blah and get up the next day and work harder. And I think like some people just talk on and on about how they played a a bad round of golf. And one, now I realize that golf doesn't define me as a person, which I was so obsessed with golf before everything happened that it, it really did define me as who Taylor is. And now I know I'm working on and like know better who I am that I can go to a a bad round of golf and, and shake it off. And I think um, not everyone has that. And a lot of people in our world are, are thinking so bad about the negatives. And I'm not saying that I don't, but I'm working hard to not do it. Yeah. I think there's a, I saw something the other day that your, your, your five closest friends, the average of those five is who you are. So if you're around five really positive people every day or, you know, great job, Taylor, good try, you know, nice, nice putt, good, good try at school, you know, uh, great talk that you gave on mental health and everybody around you is uplifting you. And you take the average of the five closest friends that is kind of like looking in the mirror. Yeah. I, um, it just made me think of my teammates cause I'm, I'm here and they're all like, so, somehow they're all like my sisters already and right. they're the most positive people like I got here and it was new to be around different people but automatically they're cheering for me and I was like I've never had like true friends like this like they want me to do well in every part of my life they're they're picking me up when I'm down and it's so easy in golf to like to like compete especially like at a big school like Florida and they're not like that they're cheering for you and qualifying and I'm just like this is incredible. Like the whole world needs to be like this, but unfortunately it's not. But if we can have more people that want others around them to do well, and that's what like my mood is so good all the time, like at Florida, just because people around me are so amazing. And I'm I'm sure when you talk to your, your therapist and people that are in the know of how this works, you, you do need to allow yourself time to, you know, get off that optimism train. You, it's hard to be on that 24 yeah. seven. It's kind mm-hmm. of draining. And I, 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 I allow myself to cry regularly. Um, yeah. and, but you know, it's like, I write about my book. It's not, it's not the weight of pain that I'm crying about. It's, I miss my son and I'm, I'm, I'm free to, I, I'm, I should be allowed to cry. Yeah. Uh, I miss my wife and I should be allowed to cry. And there shouldn't be any shame with that, especially coming from a man because men are supposed to be strong and not show their emotions. And I'm really breaking that stigma because I cry every day in front of everybody. So I'm like a big baby, but I think more men need to do that. Just again, as a sidebar about mental health, I think men carry a lot of weight of their stresses to their grave and um, could be one of the reasons why we die so much younger than, than women um, is that the way we're tough on ourselves, you know, our, 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 um, self-criticism is so high, but, you know, going back to allowing yourself to feel pain, I think that's important, Taylor, in, yeah. in grief, grieving or therapy or trauma or anything you're going through is that, you know what, 
maybe it's time for me to just let it all go today. <laughs> shut yeah. my door, shut my phone off, cry, look at the pictures, cry. And then all of a sudden I'm like, all right, it's like, it's like a halftime break. It's like, oh, I'm ready for the second half, you know? Yeah, so my, my therapist used that term. She used like a vacation day. Like just, it's not really a vacation letting yourself cry, mm -hmm. but it kind of is because you're, for me, like my vacation is laying in bed and crying and just watching Netflix or just doing something for myself. And mm -hmm. I like that term just because you kind of like you turn your phone off, you're not looking at it, you're putting your computer away for a little bit, even if you don't have a full day to take a vacation, but maybe it's a five minutes or an hour. Um, but I really like that term because it is important. It's that me time, you know, you gotta yeah. have, you gotta have, you know, we, especially, you know, you, you division one or you college athletes, you're giving so much of your time. I mean, you're, you're giving it to school, to practice, to, you know, weights in the morning to just everything you're doing is geared towards, you know, playing, hitting a white ball around the course. That's what your whole life is designed for. Well, you have, you can't, you have to have another life too. You got to have some ways mm -hmm. to get away from that. And I know for Ian, he sells shoes. So Ian has his online shoe company called IA Streetwear. And he's got, he's got 70, 80 pairs of shoes in his inventory. And, and he has this entrepreneurial mindset that, you know, if golf will take me as far as I can go, but my backup plan is I want to be a shoe magnet. I want to, I want to make millions of dollars providing shoes to people. And yeah. I think that is a great distraction for Ian from the pressures of, of, of playing college golf. And so many kids don't have that release. It's just golf, yeah. golf, 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 golf. And then they're just miserable people. Yeah. I think that's so important. Like the part of the reason that I feel like everything happened because I was like in COVID and all I could do was golf, work out in school. And so, I mean, my outlets are like, personally, like hanging out with friends, um, my religion um, and volunteering. Like those are some outlets that are important for me that help mm -hmm. me get off the mindset of golf. And I didn't have that. And um, but I think it's really important to like what you said, like Ian has that outlet and everyone has something that, or hopefully people have something that they can fall back on um, when golf isn't going so well. Yeah. I think very, it, it definitely releases pressure. It does. And, and you have yeah. to have that release because the other types of releases aren't productive, like drinking and, yeah. you know, smoking and lying to your parents and those type of things, those aren't conductive or conducive yeah. to a healthy lifestyle. But, um, so you have to be excited about your future because, you know, not only do you have a tremendous future in golf, I mean, you have to be thinking big, you know, uh, but the real, the real realism is for most athletes, you know, playing professionally for many reasons, it doesn't materialize. So the, yeah. I always tell Ian, you know, have that as your goal, but don't just have it as your only goal, you know, have a backup plan. So I think for you, Taylor, I see an opportunity for you to become, you know, a very big advocate, um, maybe form your own business. You know, there's, there's lots of demand out there for people looking for, advocates on mental health side. And, um, you know, I, I think that's gotta be exciting for you, you know, as a college sophomore to think, you know, I've, I've got really two passions going at once. Uh, whereas yeah. a lot of kids don't have that. They have either none or one. Uh, and I think, I think golf can be just an incredible door opener. I keep telling Ian this, it's like, Ian, you got to golf with Ricky Fowler, dude. 
I mean, think about yeah. that. You played nine holes with Ricky. And then that summer you played 18 with Zach Johnson. Man. And it wasn't because you're a good fisherman, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's because you're a golfer and, and you did, yeah. you raised money through golf and you got rewarded. So, yeah. you know, golf is a tool. That's what I tell Ian. It's a tool. It's like, it's literally like a club in the bag. And for you, you and Ian and Sam, it can open up so many doors for your real passions, which may be mental health advocacy. Yeah. You know? I mean, through golf, I've met so many different people that I would have never met if it wasn't for golf. I mean, some of my closest friends are golfers, but also I've met people like Robert Black through golf. I mean, I would have never met him if it wasn't for that and our passions about mental health aligned. And that's what kind of created the Impact Cup, uh, along with my friend Phoebe um, Brinker, who's also a part of it. Yeah. So um, yeah. I got two questions. I'll ask him now because I have attention deficit and I'll forget. <laughs> so I want to hear a little bit about Phoebe. Yeah. She's not here, but I want you to kind of tell you, tell me about her role in this and, and does she have mental health uh, issues that she's talked about as well. And then I want to talk about, as we wrap up the last 15 minutes, the actual day, the impact cup, what's it going to look like? What are you going to be doing that day? Kind of step us through. So let's talk about Phoebe first. Um, yeah. I know she goes to Duke university. Uh, maybe how you guys met, uh, what's her kind of reason why she's interested in this topic. And then we can spend a little bit of time talking about the actual impact cup. Um, so me and Phoebe met, uh, through the AJGA, we met playing, um, probably at like 15 we met um phoebe also helped me host the senior cup which was the other tournament that i was talking about in the beginning of the podcast that where we raised the forty thousand dollars together right um and she's just a person that um has always been there um we we bounce ideas off each other really well and um i loved having her as a part of like the senior cup and when I had the idea for we we actually wanted to do like a 2.0 of the senior cup but then when I had this idea I was like what if we can do this instead and she loved it um she has uh her perspective is more like the student athlete how that affects or like how mental health effect affects a student athlete um I'm not sure um how much mental health um like how that has impacted her but I know I mean, all student athletes struggle with it. Um, right. If they don't, like, I mean, good for them. But um, we, I mean, we go throughout the day and barely have a minute to ourselves normally. Um, and I think it, it it's nice to have a different perspective um, at Duke. Um, and um, she's a high-class golfer as well. So I think it's nice to have the two of us that are working together um, cause we're, we're creating like the format of impact cup. So it's, um, a rider cup format. So there'll be a team Taylor and a team Phoebe, which is how we did the senior cup. And every, we initially wanted to do like four person teams, but the, the rider cup style is so much more fun. Um, did you lose me? Uh, it's okay. It's fine. Um, so okay. how many, how many total golfers are going to be in the impact cup? So we're shooting for 28. Okay, how many uh, how many do you have filled right now? We have six confirmed right now. Okay. Um, I'm gonna so really try to get I'm gonna try to reach out to Sam, Gary. Yeah. And I'm gonna give you his information. You can email them an invite. Yeah. Uh, yeah, cause definitely. Sam would just be a, a slam dunk because he is already an advocate. And I know he'd certainly be willing to to help um in any way he can. Yeah, I um, love that. Um 
And this is uh, for, this is for college golfers, right? Yeah. It's for college golfers. We might open it up to like seniors who are going to about to be in college. Um, but primarily for college golfers. Um, so like what you said, like what the impact cup is going to look like. Um, so every, I think we're all staying at a hotel, um, together, um, the first morning, um, breakfast and, then we're going to play the Bobby Jones golf course, which is also now this is in the it. 25th of July, right? 25th of July. Okay. Um, and so we're going to play there, um, and then have lunch and then we're going to the in town club, which is like a indoor facility with bays. And we're going to do kind of like the mental health awareness mm. part of it there. Um, so like we're going to have, uh, the th- my therapist actually is going to be there. We're, me, Phoebe, and Clara is her name. We're um, we're trying to create fun activities, but that will also help the athletes. Um, I'm one of them that I can tell you is we're doing a vision board. I found it. I really liked it because it's like, what are you passionate about? It could be golf. It could be outside of golf. I mean, my vision board doesn't have golf on it, um, but it's more of like what relaxes me um, and I don't know. I, I like waking up to see, I have it in my room. I like waking hmm. up to see it every morning just because it reminds me of like what I love outside of golf. And I, I did it. Be, I love golf too. <laughs> I mean, I'm a very competitive person, but there's a part of Taylor that um, likes other things like arts and crafts and volunteering, hmm. going to the beach, meditating now is part of it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's awesome. So we're so- going to do different sorry go ahead no it's okay so so that day you're going to go do the kind of a mental health thing and then uh yeah. what's what's on the rest of the day and then what's the next day look like is it's a two-day deal yeah so the rest of the day i think we're going to make it make it optional to see how long people want to stay there because i know like talking about it can be like overwhelming and we right. don't want to force people to be there um but we're going to make it fun in the beginning um and then possibly like break out into different like groups and kind of talk about different things that come up with um, being a student athlete. And then we're looking at possibly doing like a fun yoga, something like that, or fun like exercise activity. Um, And then the next day, which is the real fun part, um, which is the 26th of July, um, we're all playing East Lake, um, Mm, where the the tour championship is held for people that don't know that. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I, I, I think you were wanting me to maybe speak at some point. Um, yeah. So at the in town club, I think that's where we were going to have you speak. If that was, yeah, I'm really excited about that because yeah. I think, you know, in my book, there's five chapters dedicated to golf. So, I mean, my book's about losing a loved one to, uh, to overdose, but golf is such a reoccurring theme in, in our story. That's, you know, golf saved my life. That's one of my chapters of my book and it's not me playing golf. You know, I, I don't play golf much anymore, but it's watching my son live out his dreams and honor his brother by playing the game that he always loved. And there's just so many weird metaphors and analogies and just so many stories. Like there's one chapter in the book where I'm trying to show Ian, talk to Ian about drugs, uh, which a conversation every parent has to have, you know, sooner the better. And so I thought to myself, well, Ian's a golfer. So how could I relate golf to drugs? All right. So this is what I did. I said, Ian, Ian's, I think, uh, see, he was, um, 
what was he 13 when Seth died or 15? I can't remember. He was 15 when Seth died. So Ian would have been a sophomore. And I said, Ian, you know, you know, the best way to become the best bunker player in the world. What's the best way to become the best bunker player? And I let Ian answer that as a 12 year old. No, uh, he wasn't 12. Can I ask what he said? Yeah, I'll tell you what he said. It's in, well, you're going to have it because I'm going to send you my book. But he said, yeah, dad, I need to hit behind the ball about an inch, swing really hard, let the sand throw the ball out of the bunker. I need to get the right loft. I need to splash it. And he's going through all these different things. And I just let him go. And I'm laughing inside because I knew he's not going to get it right. And I go, well, yeah, those are all, those are all good, Ian. But how can you be the world's greatest bunker player? Well, dad practice eight hours. You know, so he starts going into things that most kids. And I said, no, the best way to be the world's greatest bunker player is don't go in the bunker in the first place. <laughs> and I stopped and he just looked at me like, well, duh, dad. And I said, okay, I was, I was waiting for this answer. And I was like, I don't know what he's going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, here's how it applies to drugs and alcohol. The best way to quit drugs is to what? Don't Never use start. It in the first one. Yeah. Never start. And so that's where this never start idea. And that's where my don't start initiative came up where I've got this, the DSI acronym for kids. And it's my idea to get kids to think about, uh, the moment they're presented an opportunity to do drugs or alcohol. So the don't start initiative, that's a DSI. That's what I call it. The acronyms ABC Taylor. And what this means is I'm trying to think of like a, a you know, an eight, eighth or seventh grader or sixth grader, you know, they're not very cerebral. They're very, very emotional. So how could I think of a quick thing they can pop in their head? So they're at a football game. Somebody says, Hey, let's go have a vape. How can this seventh grader get out of the situation very quickly? Well, ABC is my acronym. A is awareness. So just be aware now. So ABC, everybody can think of ABC as an acronym. They don't have to think too far to just recall that. So a is awareness. Okay. I'm in the situation that my dad, my mom told me I was going to be in, right? Every parent says you're going to be offered drugs and alcohol at some point. Yeah. Okay. Well, here I am. Now I'm there. I'm aware. And then here's the really pivot point. B is breathing. And if you breathe through your nose, you can't talk. So I'm going to get kids to take a deep breath through their nose. So, I mean, this is all like five seconds. Cause you got to, you got to be able to get out of this situation very quickly. So you're in a parking lot, kids are offering you a vape and you're seventh grade and you're like nervous. How am I going to get out of this? Okay. I'm aware I'm here. Breathe through my nose. I can't talk. All right. Yeah. I just breathe through my nose to, to, to like envision that. I never, I didn't, I didn't realize that. that and so that gets you and you know, all the benefits of breathing. That's what meditation is yeah. based on, you mm -hmm. know? And the breathing then allows you to start formulating the choice. And that's the C awareness, breathing, choose. And then I've got this thing where I want kids to conceptualize uh, a white chalkboard of a body on the cement. And I call it the, ch I call it the Walker chalk. So you need to walk from the situation or you're going to potentially be chalk on the cement. And I know I got to be dramatic, but I, I come from a place where I have a, a child that died from this stuff. So I feel like I, I feel like I can be dramatic. Yeah. Um, but I think that is a one thing I got to thinking about kids is that, you know, these are tools I'm trying to get out there. So, you know, I can talk about this when I'm at your place, I have some other, uh, ideas I've kind of formulated, but you know, what you're doing is awesome. 
I think your story needs to be told at a, on a bigger stage. And I think what's going to happen, Taylor, is you're going to have lots of requests for people for your time to share your story if you aren't already. I'm going to guess that's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I'm open to sharing my story. Um, I think if you asked me like a couple months ago, I'd say I wasn't um, right. just because I wasn't ready to share it. But um, I know I can help people now and um, I don't want others to feel alone like I did because in the beginning I, I did, I was like, I, I thought I was alone. I was crying in my bedroom alone and um, I'm were definitely parents, here for other people. Were your parents worried about you kind of talking about this publicly? No, they're proud of me for it. Awesome. Cause I know some parents are going to say, ah, don't. Don't talk about that because then people will think maybe you got a problem or maybe, and that's the stigma that's, that's out yeah. there. Yeah. Honestly, you know? now that I'm thinking about, I don't even think I asked for their permission to talk <laughs> about it. Um, I, Ask for their forgiveness, their forgiveness, yeah, not their permission. Because I remember just telling them, oh, I'm hosting another charity event. Here's what it's about. That's great. <laughs> Cause I, I got it approved by uh, Beth and Kevin. And I was like, oh, my God, mom and dad, I'm so excited. I'm doing this, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, they're um, very proud of me for doing it. Um, I don't think they had any hesitation for me sharing my story. Um, my mom um, has her own journey, and um, she says that I've helped her a lot, which um, both my parents are big role models in my life. Um, I got to think of that Ohio State football player that just came out the last couple weeks. I saw weeks. that. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's an indication of what you're doing is needed. You know, this yeah. is this big, strong, manly looking, you know, guy that is struggling with mental health. And yeah, I go back to that Stanford, uh, soccer, uh, uh, soccer player, uh, female soccer player at Stanford that took her own life. Yeah. That was like a month ago, two months ago. You know, those are just two stories of two individual people. And you got to think that every team on every sports team in every sport, in every town in this country, there's somebody on that team, two, three, four, five, six kids on that team that are struggling with something. Yeah. You know, For and sure. I think it's important that they feel like that they're not alone. Yeah, actually, I want to share this with yeah. you. I'm actually lit right now, so. Um, it's a candle that honors, um, people that take in their own life. Mm. Um, I just bought it. One of the awesome. girls that spoke on a podcast with me, or it was a community call. She's from Stanford. Um, she just created it. Um, it's called candles for a cause and unite our light. So every time that you light it, you're honoring someone that took their life, um, um, a guy that I was talking to over the summer, his roommate took his own life. So that was my first, like, hmm. where it happened, like, in my own community. Because I was reading about suicides increasing, and especially with athletes. And hmm. and ever since that happened, I feel like it keeps happening. And when that happened, it was like, I really need to do this event. Like, it was an idea in my head, but that that's what drove me to do it. Yeah, and that goes back to my quote that's on all of our materials and I'll, you know, I have, we have shirts and stuff living undeterred stuff. Yeah. It's, it's purpose becomes passion when it gets personal. Yeah. And so if you just think about that purpose becomes passion when it gets personal, 
And what happens in life is something happens, you know, an event, in my case, it was death and alcoholism, things like that. All of a sudden now I become an advocate. In your case, it was, you know, things that were going on in your head, your freshman year, that this light bulb went off that, Hey, this is something that I need to deal with. If I don't, this could be something that gets just progressively worse as I get older. And you had the ability to, to be cognizant of that, to realize that this was a problem. A lot of kids don't have that. A lot of adults don't have that ability, Taylor. And that's where they just perpetuate this misery. And and then ultimately they maybe take their own life and which is the worst possible outcome. I mean, we, we need to stop preventing the deaths first and then kind of work backwards. You know, um, I saw a stat the other day. I'm going to talk about this on my presentation. 776 Americans a day die from overdose, suicide, and alcohol abuse. That's 776 human beings every day in the United States. Now, you just take one one of those and one of the, just pick one random statistic, one number. Pull it out, look at the picture of that human being that died. There's a mom, there's a dad, there's brothers and sisters, there's coworkers, there's teammates, there's uh, you know, uh, friends, there's there's neighbors, there's there's this community of people around this one human being that died. So you think of the collateral damage, you think of the ripple effect of one life that's lost, and then you take 770, and then you take it for a full year, and you can see where our country is just so struggling with, you know, this inability for people to figure out their own ways to to deal with mental health issues. And that's why what you're doing has to be done. I'm super proud of you. I, I, I can't you. wait to meet you. Ian is so excited to golf with you as well. He's I'm, I'm really excited. He's really excited to meet your parents yeah. and talk about these things and then share your story with more people and just keep helping because I'll tell you right now, you're not helping one person. You're helping thousands of people Thank and you. that's got to make you feel pretty good. Yeah. I, I, it's not, um, I don't think I'm like aware of how many people I'm helping. I'm just, I'm trying to be happy within myself and hoping that it will impact others. And I mean, as you said, I, it will. Um, I'm still wrapping my head around that I'm actually like putting all of this together and <laughs> um, and stuff. I'm, um, I I struggle with like believing in myself um, mm-hmm. still to this day. So it's something that. I'm working on and like that I'm actually doing this. So, but if I can help people, um, anyone that's listening to this, I'd love to talk to you and yeah. Well, make sure you take time to be grateful for what you have. Um, that's yeah. my key thing. I tell the boys, Roman and Ian, my, my youngest son, Roman, he's a senior at, in high school. Mm-hmm. And I tell him the same thing. Make sure you're grateful for the time you had with your mom. She's not here now, but you had great times with her. So let's focus on that. You're grateful about the time you had with your brother. He's not here either. And people down the road are going to die as well, you know, and you've got to really, you never know when someone you talk to, it's the last time you're going to talk to them. Yeah. And I think after you've been through it, you realize that every relationship is valuable and you know, as much as you're trying to help other people through what you're doing, make sure you don't neglect 
you know, help helping yourself as well. And that's being grateful. Just shut your eyes and going, man, I'm so grateful to have this opportunity to help people. I mean, you know, yeah. Um, because I think that's what keeps us going. I, I struggle with sometimes staying motivated in my projects. You know, this tour is going to be massively, uh, it's going to be wearing and tearing and, you know, the people on the RV, we're either going to love each other more, or we're going to hate each other in about two weeks of traveling together. You know how that goes with family yeah. trips and stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited that you guys are stopping. I'm really grateful that you're going to be a part of it too. And I wanted to say like, um, I'm sure you heard of it, but my favorite like meditation is like the gratitude meditations. Cause mm -hmm. I think those are super important. Like, like what you said, just to reflect on like my own life and, to wake up and I mean because when I was in bed over the summer I was like didn't want to wake up and now every day I wake up practice gratitude and I'm grateful for the day that's in front of me and it's something that I've learned to to do well I want to give as we wrap up the show here I want to give a shout out to the AJGA yes and to tell them how much they've meant to me in my life um and Kevin Rinker and Beth Doctor are both in my book. I interview Beth in my book. Um, and I think what they stumbled upon with leadership links and this, this way to harness, um, goodwill from junior golfers and, and collectively, you know, each individual golfer has this, you know, passion, but then you add it all up and the, the, um, the goodwill that comes from this is just, it's all inspiring to me. I mean, uh, it's and I'm so, I'm just so happy Ian got involved in leadership links and I'm so happy that, um, that golf was such an important part of our story. And I, like I said, AJGA, I don't even look at AJGA as a, as a golf turn a tour. I look at it as a culture, as a family. Yeah, it is. You and I, I'd like to thank them too. Um, I mean, my I guess my childhood was growing up playing in in golf events through the AJJGA and then I mean I didn't start participating in leadership links until after I graduated high school is when I hosted the senior cup and I'm so grateful to be a part of the community at a different level than just golf because what they do is just it's amazing I mean there's not there's not a word to describe it because they do so much for the community and each junior golfer that participates and hosts their own event they've done so much for the community too and just to be amongst uh, a group of individuals that care so much about the community is is just really special and I mean Beth and Kevin are both two amazing people um, I wouldn't have put the the senior cup together or to a level without Beth she does amazing work behind the scenes not everyone realizes that she, how much work she does so um, is kevin gonna too. be there that day yes he is awesome <laughs> as at least he said so, <laughs> so awesome hopefully. have you seen the the podcast interview i did with him no i haven't i need to you'll need have to, to go to, to the living undeterred website and then okay. go back go back about eight or nine ten months ago and you'll see the interview i did but that, that was i've always felt Kevin, you know, the thing about the AJGA is that some organizations and some people just kind of have that it factor. Yeah. You know, they just, they figured it out. I mean, even having you junior golfers write handwritten notes to sponsors and donors, Yeah, you know, they nobody does you. that anymore. 
they I yeah it's something my dad taught me uh when I was being recruited I I wrote handwritten letters to the college coaches that had the time to take out for me to go see them but I mean I learned so many life lessons through the AJGDA with like the banquets the writing the notes just talking to different people um talking to their staff um the interns that got to go to so many different events I mean I learned so much from them and I am beyond grateful for that I mean I was homeschooled through high school so the AJGA AJGA was like uh, my outlet to meet so many different people and they provided that and so much more well I will I will say this Taylor I, I think you know you have a bright future ahead of you and I think thank you so many junior junior golfers the the little kids you know that 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 look up to you and Ian and, and Sam Gary uh, you you guys I know they look at you as golfers but you're more than a golfer you know and, and I think, um, you guys are making a big difference and you are the next generation. You three are the one that'll be running ev- this country someday or this world. And so the better frame of mind you can be with your mental health, um, the, the better it will be for society. So I think what you're doing is awesome. I'm here to support Thank what you. you guys are doing. And I really am excited <laughs> about having the RV wait. parked, having the RV parked out there for a whole day, right on, right on the golf course. And, uh, I'd like to get involved in interviewing a lot of people that are in your project and, um, you know, trying to do our part to, to promote this as well. So how long are you taking donations up till, is there a cutoff date? There's not. So you can donate after the event. Um, the website is up and running, but I was going to say like, um, people that want to share their stories. Like I know some junior or not collegiate golfers that are going to play. I'm sure they have their own story. Um, if you want to interview them, um, because I know Phoebe also has her own story. And I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of us have gone through stuff in life. So. Well, listen, I, I appreciate it very much for your time. This has been a, a one of my favorite podcasts I've ever done. Um, Thank because you. I just think that what you're doing is awesome. And um, took me 52, I'm 55 now, but it took me to age 52 for me to start thinking about helping people with mental, mental, uh, mental health awareness. And you're, you, you guys are starting it at such a young age. You've got such a bright future ahead of you guys. So, well, good luck with, um, what you're doing with your event and then also good luck with your school and good luck on the golf course. Um, you know, I hope all those work out well for you in the next couple of years, but, uh, I look forward to talking to you later and, um, any last things you want to added, uh, add about, um, anything we talked about today in regards to. Uh, helping people maybe get through this daily struggles that they're dealing with each day. Um, I want maybe just say to never give up. Um, just my therapist. Um, I didn't have any motivation uh, to get up in the morning. Um, I lost my love for golf, but she was like, "One day you're gonna keep getting up, and it's gonna come back." And it did, but it took time. And I think that's something that I hold close to my heart, just because. I mean, every day is a battle, but if you never give up, you're going to get somewhere. Um, But thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Well, and I'm going to tell you to keep living undeterred, but I don't think you're going to have a problem with that. So (laughs) (laughs) thank you. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Taylor. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon.